Oh, man. Stop it. Sit down. Whew. Let's go. What a day. Come on. Wow. It's, it's true. I am um, just, just so grateful to what God's doing in the house today, like what God's doing in the room and talking with friends. And um, my heart is just so stirred up for what I believe God is doing this weekend. And I'm so excited you're here. Man, out of all the places, you all came to Lathrop. Come on now. Come on. Only, only, only Jesus can make some of y'all come to Lathrop. We got an in and out now, though, so it's cool. All right. It's good. It's good. All right. Hey, I'm going to have you do something that we normally do uh, here at Thrive. Do me a favor. Stand your feet. We're going to jump right in. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to waste time. I, I feel like I, I feel like now, not not just today, but uh, as I was praying, um, and I was right. God was doing whatever He was doing. Worship team was crushing it. All good stuff. You know, and, and, and something that a, a pastor, John Tyson, out of New York said, I, I, was, I, had a, I had a chance to hang out with him earlier this year, great guy. Um, he said, he said we're, not, we're not living in a time where we have the rest of the game to catch up. Right? You, you in a football analogy, and I don't even play football, look at me. Like, that's like JoJo and Ryan, Pastor Ryan, you know when Pastor Ryan and Pastor JoJo, they, they play football, I look like I clean shoes for a living and you know whatever uh, you you play different in the last two minutes of the game versus how you play at the first quarter and what you and I have to understand is we're not living in a time where we're, st- we're in the first quarter and so the message today that I feel that God asked me to communicate I, I want to bring a sense of urgency because the time is urgent We are not trying to do cool Christian events to make people feel good so that way you could feel better about yourself and so that way we can do something because we're bored in September. No, there is something pressing that's happening in our state right now and the only solution to the craziness of society is people that would choose to follow Jesus and God invading the earth. And so I don't want to ramble. I don't want to waste time. I I want you to get a sense of urgency because I believe that if there's anything that God would deposit in your heart for myself, it's this tonight. And and you're going to get a whole bunch of things this weekend. But tonight, I feel so deeply in my heart to, to preach with a level of urgency and expectancy because complacency and apathy is so common in your generation. We got way too many weenie Christians. It's too, it's, y'all just complaining about stuff on TikTok and all that nonsense. I'm going to jump in. I'm already preaching. I haven't even read what I'm going to read. So Isaiah chapter 6. Why do I have you stand up? Because here at Thrive, we always stand for the word. That's just kind of our tradition, so I wanted to bring you into it. Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one another, and one called to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And his house, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned forever. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Lord. And everybody say this with me. Send me. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I pray that I would decrease so you would increase. I pray that it would be your message. I pray that there would be a prophetic urgency in the room. I pray that you would deposit something that's real and not just emotional. And Jesus, we ask that on this first night of an incredible weekend, that God, you would begin to move and speak and only in a way that you can move and speak. So we hand it to you. We trust you. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. And do me a favor, if you're taking notes today, turn to the person next to you and tell them, Born Sinner. That's the title of the conversation today. Born Sinner. And some of you that are Biggie Small fans might know the reference. If you're not, you're probably a Gen Zer. I'm just being honest. Some of y'all might not like hip hop. And some of you call that mumble trash hip hop and we'll pray for you at the end of the service. So Isaiah, credible prophet. A man that's so after God. Isaiah writes this encounter that he has with the God of the universe where he comes into a normal church service like today and instead of experiencing the normal moments of religion, he actually has an encounter with God where he sees all this stuff. Like imagine you just come into church and you're seeing the throne and, and you're seeing God and you're seeing angels and these things are covering their feet and they have heck of wings around them. And, and, and he's just having this moment with God. And God begins to do something that he always does in scripture. He begins to release a moment of encounter to Isaiah not just for Isaiah, but so that way Isaiah can be a voice to a people who need God. I've read this passage since I was most of your guys' age. I love this verse. I love what God says in this verse. And, and, and what you will find in this walk with following Jesus, for those in the room that are really like, man, I want to follow God. I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to do everything that God wants me to do. Is that you will find that God, the way he sets it up, is that he creates opportunities for individuals to encounter and experience him, not in a superficial, artificial way, but in a real way where, where you begin to experience and encounter the presence and power and authority of God, your whole life begins to be transformed. If there is anything in my life that I have been called to personally, if there's anything in my life that I am addicted to, and if there's anything that I believe that the pastors of this house are carrying, right? The different churches in this room and the people that decide to come to a conference like this. Because you all could have took your kids to a different conference, but you decided to come to one that's like this. Is that we believe wholeheartedly that a generation does not need Xboxes and pizza parties. 
but they need an encounter with God. They need a moment where God would step in and intervene. They need a moment where the reality of God begins to evade, right? Like the song that we sang, Let Heaven Come. They need a, we need a moment, now more than ever before, young people need an opportunity to experience the presence and the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the divinity and the awesomeness of God. Because it is only when we experience that that real transformation happens. It's only then. Isaiah is that. Isaiah is, is in this place where this incredible prophet starts out his entire ministry. Right? He starts off everything that he does on the earth, not from the place of, 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 of just normal religious attending. But he... he he is bred in the environment and the atmosphere of encounter with the living God. I believe God is creating that environment this weekend. This is why this type of weekend I feel is so dangerous to hell. And heaven is celebrating it. Because when God steps in, and does something like how he does with Isaiah, the consequence of the encounter is not just better church attendance. It's not just better serving. It's not, it's not. It's the world begins to change because someone decided to step back into the presence of God and really encounter Jesus. And from the place of encounter, they understand, oh my goodness, there's something bigger than what I've experienced. My friends need to know this. My family needs to know this. My job needs to know this. My campus needs to know this. And I know that I was a born sinner. I know that I was messed up. I know that I was broken. I know there was things wrong with me. But I saw the Lord. Come on, someone. I saw him. I saw him. You ever, uh, you ever that, you might not be yet, but after this weekend, you might. I know what it's like to be the weird one in high school. I know what it's like to be the one where even the friends at church look at you funny. I know what it's like to turn my room into a prayer room because there's nothing else I wanted to do with my life. I know what it's like to preach on tables. I know what it's like to fast because I wanted to instead of making when your youth pastor forced you. Come on, anybody know? And it wasn't because I was trying to gain a level of status in my Christianity so that way I could be on a platform and so that way I could be on a stage. And so it was nothing to that. It's because I experienced something that transformed me from the inside out. And there was a moment with God that turned everything upside down. And my question before we even jump into the conversation is this, is that what if we would believe that the same thing that happened to Isaiah would happen again in a generation? generation where there were moments with God not just at Thrive but at Life Song and the House Modesto and CWC Manteca and Harvest Turlock and churches in the Bay not cool Christian moments but moments where individuals where we begin to look at God experience God see God begin to encounter God and then say who will go for us yes that will be me I will go that my friends is dangerous it's dangerous. Whew. 
because it will force you. When you encounter Jesus, it will force you to kill your old self on the cross that he died on. And he will call you to something greater that you would never ask or imagine, but it will cost you everything. I love Pastor Matt. That was like the best introduction of my life, bro. Thanks. But one of the reasons I love him because he embodies this moment. More than anyone, like anyone I've ever met, Pastor Matt. An Isaiah 6 moment as a 19-year-old. Full ride to UOP. Had everything in his life. Came from a wealthy home. Got a Camaro at 16. Who does that? I'm like, bro, just give me a Honda Civic in Jesus' name. I'll take the hoopty. Come on, Lord. Baller. (laughs) He'll never talk about it because he doesn't talk about it. And he has an encounter with God that changes everything. And he says, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't even know what's going on. But I'll say yes because I've seen God. And the heart, of, of, the heart of, of, of this thing is this, is that can we create atmospheres? Can we create environments? Can we create moments where the Isaiah moment that we just read isn't radical, but it's normal? Where we began to understand that there's something greater for us, for those who love Jesus. So let me just give you a few points that I think will help us. And I want to dive into this and kind of expound this just a little bit. Number one is that God's not looking for someone perfect, but he is looking for someone willing. I want to tell you right now that the first step to having this radical thing called Christianity invade your world, to allowing God to begin to transform you from the inside out, to begin to allow him to heal you of all the stuff you've ever been through, to allow, you to, to allow him to forgive you of everything you've ever done, to, to allow the gospel of Jesus to begin to not only heal you of your past, but give you a calling and a purpose of your future. Is It does not just take God moving, but it takes a willingness from you. And I firmly believe this, and I've said this a lot here at Thrive because this statement is so true. God is not looking for perfection. And in a generation that is so focused on social media, that is so focused on looking good, that is so focused on having the right stuff, looking the right way, sounding the right way, doing what everything everybody wants to do. And and it it is this unspoken cultural need of perfection. You feel you have to be perfect. Even in your sin and your mess, you feel like you have to be perfect because it has to be the right sin and the right mess. And what we do is we put our perfection as a veil against us and God. And then we say this, God, I can't come to you. I can't go after you. I can't pursue you. I can't love you. I can't trust you because I'm not perfect. But the truth is, is in scripture, God uses imperfect people to do supernatural things. And I'm not saying you have permission to, like, be ratchet. Y'all need to calm down. Homegirl, if you're posting bikini pics and you have Proverbs 31 on your Instagram, shut it down. (laughs) And fellas, you be doing all sorts of ratchet stuff. Don't even, don't even stop it. 
right now, if you're thinking about sliding to a girl's DM because you just met her from another church at the conference, shut it down in Jesus' name. Calm, calm yourself. Take that water that's on a boil and put it on a simmer, okay? Simmer, simmer yourself down. I'm not talking about what Paul would say is don't, don't, don't get caught up with sloppy grace that where sin, that sin will ground, grace abounds more. No, I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is that the, the lie of perfection is not a prerequisite for God doing something in your life. He's looking for someone willing. And, and I want to I I kind of break this down a little bit. So, so in the Bible, it says, in, in Isaiah, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and, and, and let me just give you a little context and a little bit of scripture. Uzziah was a good king, bad king. If you ever read the Old Testament, you got a lot of kings that are good. Most of them are actually bad. I'm just going to be honest. The nation of Israel is up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's actually a foreshadow of oftentimes our relationship with Jesus, where there's seasons where we're good and there's seasons where we're bad. And God would say, if you would get rid of your idols and you get rid of your sin and you get rid of your stuff and just trust me, I promise I will allow you to prosper. And ultimately, the nation of Israel, because of their their consistent disobedience, not because of their obedience, their consistent disobedience leads them into captivity. And then you wonder why you have mental stress and mental breakdowns and you're struggling with anxiety and you're struggling with depression and you don't know why you don't like God and you think the church hates you is because your consistent disobedience leads you to captivity. That's another sermon for another time. And, and y'all, you got to keep up because I'm going to talk really fast and I got 15 minutes left, okay? And so Uzziah is a good king, leads Israel for many years, 40, 50 plus years. But here's what happens. Uzziah starts off as a king who loves God, who's serving God, who's worshiping God. And the next thing you know, what begins to happen is he lets pride and arrogance get into his heart. And so this is what Uzziah decides to do. Uzziah says, you know what? I'm good. I'm legit, I'm righteous, I'm holy. So I'm gonna go ahead and go into the temple and I'm gonna act like a priest and I'm gonna sacrifice to the Lord in a way that I'm not supposed to sacrifice. And the Bible says, because Uzziah disrespected the Lord in the Lord's house, that the Lord allowed leprosy to come on his life and he died. He repented at the end, he gave his heart to God, but this is what happened. It wasn't that God was mad that he just broke the rules, but it was because of the pride and the arrogance of your heart. And God is not gonna allow pride and arrogance to take any of his glory or anything that is in his life. He's not gonna allow it. He will let you stay in your sin until you let go of your pride. Basic, basic Christianity, okay? So Uzziah dies from an, in, I, want you, I want you to connect it. Uzziah dies from an encounter in the temple, okay? Uzziah went to church, decided to do something he wasn't supposed to do because of his arrogance and his pride, and because of that, it led to his death. Now we get to Isaiah 6, and the Bible says that Isaiah was in the temple. And so I want you to understand this, because it's so important to catch before you even understand what's happening with Isaiah in this crazy moment, is that at the time, no one probably wanted to be in the temple because they know the reason why Uzziah died was because he disrespected the Lord. But yet Isaiah finds himself in the same place that Uzziah did. But instead of Isaiah getting leprosy, Isaiah has an encounter. And this is why 
someone like you can go to church and then your neighbor can go to church and you have a crazy encounter with God and they're chilling on their phone and not experiencing anything. Because the thing is not about p- posture and it's not about attendance, but it's about an open heart to God saying, Lord, I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna encounter you and I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna rend my heart. That's what the Bible says in Joel, that you would rend your heart, meaning that you would open it up and God would have access. Isaiah was there for the right reasons when Uzziah was there for the wrong ones. And because Uzziah was there for the wrong ones, the calling and destiny on his life got killed. Here's the problem with young people at missionary conferences like this, missional conferences, the idea of being sent and run this town and and we're gonna go reach the nations and we're gonna go after God and and we're gonna win people to Jesus is that oftentimes we come into the environment with a wrong attitude than the right one meaning that we expect God to do something for us so that way we can climb the ladder and reach a level of accolade that would make us feel good because the orphan in us is still broken instead of being like Isaiah saying, God, I don't know why I'm here and I don't know what's going on, but God, I'm willing. I'm willing, I'm here. And I don't know why, but I'm here. And God responds to willingness. God looks throughout the earth trying to find people who would just say yes to him. Not a platform or a title or 100,000 Instagram and TikTok followers. No, someone that would say, God, I just want you. And God says, here I am. And he comes with power and he transforms the individual. And all the time throughout the Bible, everyone has like a weird moment. It's all weird. It's never normal. It's not like the one guy had the same moment as the next guy. So stop comparing your moments with God with someone else's because they're not the same. There's not gonna be. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, it's gotta line up with the Bible. Like, if you have this moment with God and like Bob Marley's speaking to you and like you feel like you wanna smoke weed, that's not, no, that's, that's not from Jesus. That's probably from the devil and a little bit of a, Whatever music you're listening to, maybe, I don't know, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) the moment, though, the lightning rod for encounter is willingness. And I love that because you don't have to be special to be willing. You don't have to be mature to be willing. You don't have to be perfect to be willing. You don't, you don't have to be gifted to be willing. And, and, and what you will find all throughout the Bible and what you will find all throughout church history is it wasn't individuals that were extremely gifted and called. It was all individuals who did something incredible for Jesus because they were willing. It, generations were changed because individuals were willing. Families were changed because of individuals that were willing. And, and when you come to the understanding that God, can you give me a willing heart to love you and serve you and follow you? I'm just gonna come open and I'm gonna come empty. And, and it's almost glorious when you say this phrase, God, I don't have really anything to give, but what I have, I give to you. And watch what God does with that. Isaiah goes back into the temple that no one wanted to be in because the last time someone was in there, someone died. And this is just on a side note, and and for the pastors in the room, we are experiencing a crisis 
and the American pastorate today. They are falling like flies. I said this a few weeks ago on Sunday. Doesn't matter how small their church or how big their church. You, you have movements crumbling because of the lack of integrity of people who say they love God. They're pulling a Uzziah. They're going into the temple out of their own arrogance, out of their own pride, trying to do something for God that God never intended them to do. And their calling's crumbling. And what, what I'm nervous for, what, what, what I'm nervous for, if I could just be honest as, as now kind of transitioning into a different role, is that I don't want to believe that now young people don't want to go into ministry or don't want to go into following Jesus because the previous generation of poor leadership has scarred them. But can I tell you today that just because Uzziah or Uzziah type of pastors, pastors with arrogance and pride and internal sin fall, doesn't mean that God isn't raising up Isaiah's who would say yes to Jesus and be willing to go after God and allow God to do something significant and supernatural. What if today and this weekend, we were part of a thing that God decided to do in the Central Valley in Northern California that would create a movement of young people that aren't perfect, but would say, yes, God, I'll go because you did something in my life. And it doesn't matter the past experiences I've had. It doesn't matter what that pastor did that maybe broke my heart and sinned and fell. It doesn't matter what I think about the church. It doesn't matter about all that garbage because God, it's all about you. He's looking for someone willing. Number two, and the reason why is because the answer to the problem is an individual sense. The answer to the problem. And so I want, you to, I want you to understand how God works. Partly, partly. Like, I'm not going to say I know exactly how God works and everything because that's arrogant. That's dumb. When there is a problem on the earth. And come on, how many you know? We live with some problems. Right? 99 problems. Come on now. We got a lot. We got a lot. We got a lot. And we in Northern California, we got a lot. California, like I just went to Virginia a couple weeks ago and they were like, oh, you're in communist California. And I was like, whatever, bro. <laughs> Talk about my state like that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was thinking it, you know what I'm saying? Because he was feeding me for free. So had to, don't want to disrespect the mouth that's feeding you. Come on now. Like I'm not that dumb. And then he just started, and, and, and it was true. He just started naming things, sinful things, right? The place where sexual perversion and sin is rampant across the nation that starts here, right? Idolatry, rampant, rampant darkness. That's how the Bible would describe it, rampant darkness. So many crazy things. So, so it's just wild. It's like the wild west out here, right? So when there's a problem on the earth, I want you to understand this. When there's a problem on the earth, think of a problem. Suicide is a problem. Sexual perversion is a problem, right? The lack of, of, of deep spirituality in the local church context, not for every church. A lot of churches here, I believe God's moving. But in a whole is a problem, right? A lack of integrity and character, fatherlessness, motherlessness, perversion. It's a problem. Can we all agree that it's a problem? If you're like, it's not a problem, we'll pray for you at the end. It's a problem. 
Here's how God works though. God does not solve the problem by sending an angel down and fixing it with like a magic eraser, making everything go away. And that's what we want him to do. Whenever you and I personally experience a problem, we want God to be like our microwave and fix it. We want God to be like just someone who we just call on speed dial. And if you could just make this happen and make this happen and get me in this college and get me into this and do this and do that and fix my stuff. And I know I slept with that girl, but you know, if you could just erase that. And you know, I know I did this, but can you erase that? And I know I lied to this person and I know my pastors are telling me what to do, but I keep disobeying them. So can you just like pretend that that doesn't happen? And, and we live in the habitual cycle of sin where we keep going and going and going because we understand that there's a problem. But what we don't understand is that the way that God fixes it is not by just a magically getting rid of it it's not how God functions because God gives us free will and so if God were to take our problems that we caused away he would step against his character and nature against our free will so how does God find a solution to the problem he finds a person Israel's in wickedness Israel's in decay the king just died because he was disobedient to God. Israel is headed into a reality of captivity and sin. And God says, you want to know how I'm going to bring Israel back into revival? You want to know how I'm going to bring Israel back into loving me? I'm going to find a person. And what you have to understand is this, is that the solution to the problem of your generation is not God just supernaturally moving and erasing it like on a pencil. No, no. He's like, who will go for us? Who will, instead of complain and be bitter and be upset, will actually say, God, send me? I love what the Keith Green said it. This generation of people who love Jesus is responsible for this generation of souls. Isaiah, God sends him because he sends them to a problem. And if you would let God, come on, if you would let God do something on the inside of you that would wreck you, that would transform you, that would, that would change you, that would, that would build something real in your life. If you would allow yourself to be open and surrender and let God do something from the inside out, God is not just going to leave you there, but he's going to send you to the problem and the crisis of your generation. This is what I learned when I was a young person. I remember one day I was praying. I was like, God, why is high school so bad? Anybody ever? Hopefully someone. Why are they so bad, God? Why is this thing so crazy? God, and I remember praying this as a 15-year-old young man. God, why don't you fix my high school? Why don't you fix the high schools in Manteca? I went to Manteca. So why don't you fix the high schools in Manteca? And I remember the Lord saying, Chris, why don't you? I thought you have the gospel. I thought I've changed you. I thought you love me and that from that love, you have been empowered by the love and power of the Holy Spirit to do something supernatural that would break the chains of darkness and that would shine light into something that nothing has ever seen light before. God, that's just how God talks to me. I don't know how he talks to you. He's kind of mean. He might sound cute to you, but sometimes we need a mean Jesus. I'm just gonna be honest. Like... He still loves you, but like, you gotta, you gotta get the pop out. You know what I'm saying? 
Simple, why don't you? And I began to realize that all throughout Scripture, when God wanted to save the Philistines, he found a young man like David. All throughout Scripture, when God wanted to save the nation of Israel out of slavery, he found a young man called Moses. All throughout Scripture, when God wanted to bring the gospel all across the world, he decided to find a bunch of young men that were fishermen, and they went all over the world preaching the gospel and transforming lives. When God wanted to find someone, because the Gentiles were in sin, and because Asia Minor was in sin, and they did not understand the gospel, and they had no idea of the reality and the knowledge of Jesus, God finds someone who killed Christians named Paul, Saul, transforms him into Paul, decides to change everything about him, and he becomes the solution to the problem. What if we would believe that God would call us to be the solution to the problem? What if we stopped wasting our time in sin cycles and apathy and complacency? And what if we would believe that because of my life, the way I pray, the way I live, the way I love Jesus, the way I serve my church, the way I go after God, you don't have to be on a stage or a pulpit. You don't even have to maybe even go to high school. I know plenty of homeschoolers that would go after Jesus in that way. But what if your life became the antidote to the disease of humanity, which is sin? Not because you're special, but because the gospel's inside you. When there's a problem, God sends people. The answer to the problem is an individual, is an individual sent. Last point. Worship team, you want to come up in like five minutes, that would be great. Kane and help me out, all right? All right, cool. <laughs> uh, we owe the world an encounter with God. We do. We do. If you had the antidote to cancer in your back pocket, would you really keep it hidden? But oftentimes that's what we do. We fear controls our life. Sin keeps us bound, right? Shame, guilt, condemnation. But what if we came into the understanding that we owe the world an encounter with God? Again, you came to a different type of conference, my friend. If you were like, man, it's going to be hype. I'm going to meet some girls. They might have Chick-fil-A. We don't. So shut that down. And it's gonna, I'm going to feel good. It's going to be dope. And I'm going to be on fire for Jesus for the next three months. And then Christmas comes and I'm going to fall back into sin because I'm home for three weeks. And I just can't wait for summer camp to do it all over again. And guys, I'm not, I'm not telling you this because I'm making you feel bad. No, I'm trying to give you language to live the life that God designed you to live. There's a reason why you don't fit in. There's a reason why it doesn't make sense. There's a reason why everyone doesn't, it feels like it's not normal. It was never supposed to be normal. God ruined you for normal when you encountered him. There's a reason why there's something significant on your life. There's a reason why God is bothering you and pressing you. There's a reason why you stay up at night by the Holy Spirit convicting you. There's a reason why you're coming to this understanding of there has to be more because 
There is. That gone would be the days that we live normal Christianity. And that we would live in a lifestyle that at the center of it was the heart and passion and power of God. Trying to give someone in the room language that has been feeling like, can I actually do this? And will it be okay if I actually gave everything to Jesus and not just my Sundays? I wish, I wish when I was young, I had people tell me that it was okay in my area. Like there's people, there's always been, God's been moving all across the earth. He hasn't stopped. The church is never gonna die. There's always, God's gonna do something. But I wish I had someone in my life that would say, Chris, go for it. You're not weird. Go for it. That's how a lot of this started. All these youth pastors were believing for something greater than what they were seeing and they all decided to become friends because no one else thinks like them. Sad, but it's true. You want to start a conference? Cool. Are we going to bring a DJ? Well, we don't need to bring a DJ. We can just let like the Holy Spirit move. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. You know, you know what I mean? It, and that's just like an example. I'm not saying DJs are bad. I love DJs. They're hype. Let's go. Like, but, but what I'm saying is there someone I would believe, I was just talking to Pastor Jojo about this. I would believe that an environment like this would give someone permission to give their whole heart to Jesus. What can God do with someone whose heart is radically his? We owe the world an encounter with God. I say that because God encounters Isaiah, not just for Isaiah, but he encounters Isaiah for the nation of Israel. You need to get out of your bubble that believes this is all about you. And can I tell you cognitively, it's the hardest thing to do from the age of like 13 to 25 because your brain is designed to think all about you. We are selfish in nature. But can I tell you that what God can do with an individual who gets out of that cognitive reality and begins to say, God, instead of making something to or giving something to my life or giving me something about my life, could you, Jesus, use my life not for me but for you? Can I get out of the way and, God, you do something significant in my life? If we had the solution in our back pocket, would we not use it? We owe the world an encounter with God. I feel strongly about this, that we have to be done with the days where Christianity is self-centered instead of God-centered. We have to. If we're gonna see God move, we have to. If we're gonna believe, and even for your own soul, Sometimes the reason why you're still struggling in the thing you're struggling with is because you are so focused on internal stuff and you are not allowing God to move through you. God did not design you to be a lake, but a river. You know what happens at lakes? They smell and all the nasty green stuff happens under the lake. Anybody ever go to a lake? All that, yeah, algae, whatever that is. We got a scientist in the room, let's go. I thank you because I totally forgot the name. Thank you, girl. Algae. Nasty. We got a bunch of people who got algae building up on the inside because you don't release anything. 
with God. I, I do. I'm just, I'm just making it personal. I do. Not because I'm a preacher. Not because I'm a pastor. But because I was an individual who was broken, lost, hurting, dying, messed up, screwed up, jacked up, all sorts of sin, all sorts of addiction, all sorts of brokenness, messed up kid from East LA, generations of fatherlessness, generations of drug addiction, generations of homelessness, generation of apathy, divorce, and complacency. And God decided to invade my world where I was at. And God forbid that I would keep that to myself. If God did something real in your life, wouldn't you believe that God's intention for that wasn't just to heal you, which that was very important because he loves you very much and he can do something very real even today in this room. But I would believe that it would be something greater, that it would not be just for us in the room with a moment with God. But what if God was depositing something that was for someone else other than you? Isaiah says, woe is me. God, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and, I, and, I, and I'm with a people that have unclean lips. And, and now more than ever before is that such a reality. God, woe is me. I am such a man that is broken. I've sinned. I've messed up. I haven't done what I've needed to do. And I live in a society and culture that hates you, God. That's the reality. That's the urgency. Listen. We're living in a day where they're not just not about Jesus. They're angry at him. They hate him. And what's gonna be the solution to the antidote of the bitterness and the hatred and the lies and the darkness of their heart is you. You are the greatest pulpit any pastor can ever ask for. You are the greatest prophetic word that anyone can ever give. Your life surrendered to Jesus is way more powerful than any study that you would invite them to. You have to understand this, that the design of God is that I want to encounter you so that way you can encounter the world. There's gonna be people that you will reach that we will never reach. Listen, I can't go on your high school. They'll call the cops. I can't go to your workplace. They'll call the cops, but you can. And the problem is, is we can't go. This is what Leonard Ravenhill would say. You cannot go, you cannot have a lifestyle of go unless you have a moment of woe. And what I feel in my heart today is who would let themselves have a woe moment with God? A woe moment. Woe is me, God. Who would be honest and say, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. My heart's dirty. I've done some things. I've messed up. And some of you, maybe you never knew Jesus. That's okay. You're invited too. Some of you who've been Christians for years, you're invited too. Some of you that just got saved three weeks ago, you're invited too. And what if we would have that moment? What if we would allow ourselves to say, God, woe is me. God, I've messed up. God, I've let other things get in the way of what you have for me. God, I've let rebellion in my heart. God, I've let the sin cycle happen again and again and again. God, I've let this relationship be greater than you. God, I've let this family member be greater than you. God, I've let fear be greater than you. God, woe is me. Woe is me. Before God asks us to go, he needs to have a moment 
where he can take a coal from heaven and burn, burn the things that would keep us from him. I love it. It's a foreshadow of the gospel fam. And this, like Isaiah gets forgiven of his sin in the Old Testament, not by the sacrifice of lambs, but by an encounter with Jesus. And in the New Testament, you don't have to kill an animal to go to God now. All you have to do is let the gospel transform your heart from the inside out. And that's the forgiveness of sin. And so if Isaiah is able to live in an Old Testament reality, but experience a New Testament revelation, and experience a New Testament understanding, and experience a New Testament encounter, and if we live today as New Testament disciples, and we live in today in a dispensation or a covenant, whatever theological belief you believe in, whatever you would believe in an era today that is now, why can't we access what's to come? Why can't heaven come to earth? Why can't God move today? Why can't God use our life to bring revival? Why can't God use our life to save a city? Why can't God use our life to bring that prodigal back home? Why can't God use our life so that way someone could meet Jesus? Why not, family? And if the reason why not is because wholeheartedly, I haven't had a well moment. I haven't had a moment where God was able to purge the sin of my heart. I haven't had a moment where God was able to come to me and have an encounter and a moment with God that would transform me forever. I believe it's environments like this. This is why we do this conference, because God wants to create a moment like that today. Stand your feet with me.